At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot and today is a very special podcast where over there on Patreon, um, once a month I put everyone's name on a wheel, all everyone that's at Patreon with me and I spin it and whoever's name comes up joins me on the podcast and I am with Wade Neubauer. He is the third winner of the Patreon podcast giveaway and man, I'll tell you what, these episodes have been fantastic and not only that get this way episode one uh winner kenny big no i was talking to him i don't know if you heard that episode or not and he said hey if you ever come down to louisiana you want to come fishing just let me know and i've i've never been ocean fishing well i mean like when i was a little kid i did but not like as an adult and so i got my stepson Elijah, my buddy Jake, and I'm like, hey, you guys want to go down to the coast and fish? So on this Sunday, but the actually when this episode airs, I will be in Louisiana on a boat with Kenny Bagno fishing for sp- spotted trout, redfish, whatever, all the kind of fish that I don't know anything about. So I'm pretty pumped about that. You do much fishing, Wade? Uh, I do a little trout fishing in the streams. I live in the Driftless area of Wisconsin, so it's pretty pretty big on that, but not as much as I'd like to. Sweet, and I want to get into what that means um, and where your environment. And one thing about these podcasts that uh, when I have people on, especially that I don't know, that I just love, is everyone's diff- part of the country is a little bit different. Um, and I learn something a little new every time and I just get to see what it's like outside of my home state. So everyone, this is Wade Neubauer from Patreon and we are just going to talk waterfowl hunting. And actually I put a bunch of questions on a wheel and I'm going to spin the wheel. First time I just get to know Wade a little bit, then we're going to spin a wheel and whatever questions pop up is what we're going to talk about. So Wade, uh, why don't we just start by just tell me about... Where do you live and what types of hunting um, do you typically do in the course of a year? So if anyone's familiar with the Wisconsin Dells area, it seems to be a pretty popular destination. So my county has that. Um, so I'm just a little northwest of Madison in Wisconsin here. Um, so 
I live on the Wisconsin River, um, so we get a lot of uh, divers and puddlers, and um, a lot of my hunts are going to be either some marshes that are off to the side of the river, or um, the majority of the hunting that I do is going to be on the Mississippi River. Um, so other than that, I do a little bit of deer hunting, a little bit of turkey, but it's predominantly ducks. So you hunt mostly the uh, around the Wisconsin River and also the Mississippi River? Correct. And tell me more about the Wisconsin River. Is it um, channelized? Is it deep? Is it sandy? Are there trees lining it? Give me as much of a description of the Wisconsin River as you can. Uh, so I believe it starts somewhere in northern middle of the state, and it works its way down to Prairie du Chien, which is right on the border of Iowa and Wisconsin. And um, my particular area, it's it's a sand bottom, but it's it changes a lot very frequently. Um, it's very susceptible to depth changes. We have a dam that's a few miles north of us that will actually have, obviously have a lot of impact on the water depth. There's a lot of islands. Some of them are going to be your sandbars. Some of it's going to be some woods and a mixture of that. And so um, I used to have a conventional outboard, and I was always paranoid of ripping my lower unit off. So I actually switched to a long tail mud motor, and um, it actually helps a lot with that, as well as some of the marshy backwater areas. And then on the Mississippi River, it helps a lot too. So the water levels change. Is there, are there times where it's so shallow that even with your long tail, it's a struggle? Does it ever get that shallow? Uh, yeah, uh, I've beached it a few times. Um, but fortunately, the sand, you can, as long as you're not going too fast, you can get yourself unstuck. Um, and as long as you know where the channel is and you have a pretty good reference of that and I don't know it as well as I would want to but um, as long as you stick to the channel you should be okay and are the channels marked or how do you know where the channels are do you just can't go slow and figure it out yeah there really isn't much for marking um, not on the Wisconsin River at least not on my section of it there might be in some other places um, so it's it's really trial and error getting out there in the summer where if you get stuck it's not the end of the world you can fix yourself um, but my biggest thing is just to go slow, especially at night. Yeah. Things can change so rapidly. There are some stump fields in some areas too. So when you say it changes, is that because the water levels go up and down or is it sand? Like, so this sounds somewhat similar to the Kansas river, which is a river that I hunt sometimes where, but it's, it's mostly sand bottom. It's a pretty much all sand bottom with some rocky areas. And there's times where you just can't, there's no way you can use anything but a long tail. There's times where even long tails can't get up and down it. And the sand shifts and moves. And the water levels are going up and up and down a lot. Is that, it sounds fairly similar to Wisconsin. I've never actually heard of the Wisconsin River before. How, how wide is, is it typically? Uh, I, I, you know, it varies, but I'd say it's, you know, any from a couple hundred yards to maybe, yeah, I'd say two, three hundred yards wide. Mm -hmm. um, the depth, it's, I guess, relatively on the shallow end. Um, but obviously, it, it'll have some some steep drop-offs. So it's 
you always, especially putting out decoys, you always want to be careful, especially if it's an area that you haven't put out decoys before. Um, and the sand bottoms, like you were saying, it can it can change, it can fluctuate in where you were stepping yesterday was a solid point. Today it could be pretty loose. Um, so it's always a little risky, but as long as you play it safe, I always have like a walking stick to kind of test it like you would for ice fishing. Um, right. But um, I don't hunt the Wisconsin as much as I would like to, especially given how close I am. Mississippi River is just uh, it's a hard place to beat. Yeah, so you hunt the Mississippi a lot, a lot as well. On on the Wisconsin River, are there are there is it private on both sides? Can you are you allowed? What are what are the laws as far as like on the Kansas River? It's considered a navigable river, which there's only three navigable rivers that you can hunt in Kansas: the um, Arkansas, Kansas, and the Missouri. And you have to get permission to get inside the banks. But one time, once you're inside the banks, you can go wherever you want. And we've got boat ramps about every 10 miles. There's there's a boat ramp. What What is it like on the Wisconsin? So it sounds pretty similar to Wisconsin. Um, as long as you are legally entering the riverway, whether that's your boat launch or uh, permission on private, or there is some public, um, the main draw for the Wisconsin River is there's the Lower Wisconsin Riverway, which is a public land that encompasses on both the north and the south side of the river. And the state uh, tries to buy up as much as they can to provide that public access uh, to as much of the river as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the islands are going to be public. Some are privately owned. Onyx Maps is a huge help determining that. Um, so once you're in it, you're good. Um, it's kind of like with trout fishing. As long as you keep your feet wet, you're all right. That's really interesting that the islands are are private. So they must be pretty big and substantial. Yeah, some of them some of them are good size. Um, Sauk City is where our dam is, and there is an actual island that has a house on it. They really? give you some of the scale of some of these islands. And then some of them are a lot smaller where it's, you know, maybe the size of your John boat and that's about it. And then depending on the water levels, there could be no island there. Yeah. I don't know how much you've looked through the archives of Patreon, but have you seen any of the videos of the FDH uh, secret shelter or shack on there? Uh, I think I watched that uh, a while ago, but it's been it's a been minute. A while. Yeah, because that that on that's on the Kansas River, where we found a it's a big island that doesn't ever flood. It's that tall, and um, I'm sure there's a few times within the last fifty years it has, but generally speaking, it doesn't. And so Dan and Aiden and my dad and I built that shack right in the middle of that island, and I just don't ever show, share that publicly. But that place is so much fun to go and camp in, and and it made me think of the islands. So are are there houses lining? the the river all over where you can see or does it feel pretty desolate and remote um there certainly is places where there's the nicer homes that um are right down there or um, it's kind of interesting the the banks are relatively steep in for the most places at least that mm-hmm. i go to so you usually yeah. don't have like someone fishing on a pier right on the yeah. rip water's edge but um, there are some places that it's nothing but trees and bluffs, and it's really pretty. And other places, you kind of feel like uh, 
pretty urban area. Yeah, that's for the Kansas. It's you never you never see any houses. It's all just crop fields right up against it, and it feels really desolate. And uh, it's really really hard to hunt, and it's really hard to get a handle on where when the birds are in there. And I hope that I'm not talking too much about places that you hunt. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable with too many questions publicly about it. So feel free to shift the conversation elsewhere if you want. I'm just curious. Um, is it teal through geese and mallards? Is there, you said there's back channels. Do you have marshes that are back off of it or you're hunting the sandbars? How, how do you attack it? So um, there's a, there's actually a, the, one of the main marshes, at least in my area, is about 15 minutes from where I live. Um, so I actually, I get to check on it, scout it, if you will, just about every day. I work for the sheriff's department, so we're you know, circling through the area. So whenever I take my lunch break, I always like to go down there and see what the birds are doing. So um, the top three, at least ducks, that are harvested in Wisconsin, if I can remember correctly, are mallards, wood ducks, and blue-winged teal. So we have a early teal season, and... Um, Teal gets into some of those every once in a while if I get a chance to get out, but it's going to be mainly your wood ducks and your mallards for your, I would call your inland hunting versus the Lake Michigan side or the Mississippi River side. Yeah, well, um, you've got my phone number now, so I'd love for you to text me some pictures, just see what it looks like. I'm really, really curious about that. Uh, and you guys have pretty good success? You do pretty well? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Again, I don't get out as much as I'd love to. You know, I got married with three kids and busy, do it. <laughs> busy work schedule. So, um, but uh, we we try to get to the local spot a few times. It gets uh, get some traffic due to its location to Madison. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, if other people don't know, that's our capital city. So it's, I think, quarter of a million population. So we get a mm -hmm. lot of traffic coming out of there. Um, but you know, there's some places that only the locals are going to know about unless you really deep dive down in there like you like to do when you go scouting. Right. Um, so it's, there's some good, good days and some less than great days, but I always get a kick out of the, the return migration in February, March, as soon as the marsh starts to thaw out a little bit and get some water. You, The birds that you see there are not the birds that I see it come October, November. Yeah. A lot prettier, a lot more a lot, plumed out. Or... Yep. And then the variety, it's, that's something that I've noticed that, um, birds will use areas in the spring migration that they don't necessarily mm -hmm. use in the fall migration. Yeah. Um, so primarily where the place that I'm talking about it, it's, it, it's almost strictly puddle ducks, your mallards, once in a while, a pintail will get lost and find its way there. But um, in the spring, it's interesting. We'll see bluebills and ringnecks and an unbelievable amount of shovelers. <laughs> yeah, little real pretty ones, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed that with blue wings that's specifically true around here is that you will see them heavily in an area on their way back up and that you do not see in the fall. And I've always wondered, is part of that just hunting pressure or is there some type of food source? That's just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't figure it out as to why it would be different, but it certainly does seem 
to be different as to areas that they frequent on the reverse migration. And I know I was talking to Matt Farmer on one of the very first few episodes of the podcast, and he was talking about, gosh, I think he was talking about pintail hens and how they target one specific food that is really, really good for energy and something about strengthening the eggs. I can't, I can't remember the details of exactly what he said, but, but just because just the hens go after this certain type of food in the spring because of their production needs. And so I wonder if maybe <laughs> food source might play into that a little, a little bit. Um, yeah. So you hunt them, you hunt the Mississippi river more than the Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, by far. And from where you're at now, you're a little bit, because you're a little bit more southern in Wisconsin. You're on the southern third, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Or south central. A little bit, right, south central. So at that time, is the Mississippi, because I know the headwaters of the Mississippi. I've never seen it, but my parents have been up there, Chase um, from somewhere in Wisconsin. He hunts up there a lot. Is your Mississippi still like that, where it's like spread out in fingers, or is it more channelized by the time it gets to you? Uh, so I predominantly hunt pool eight and nine. So there's definitely the main navigable channel that you're going to have your um, commercial shipping and barges will take. And then from there, you can branch out and you can find yourself in a really wooded area, which I know there's kind of the joke of what is a timber hunt if you're not in Arkansas. Right. Um, right. My son and I did our version of a timber hunt last year. Um so there's there's heavy wooded areas, there's the wide open water where you get your divers, and then you still have your marshy area, um, and then there's islands, like hard ground islands scattered throughout. So it's really interesting to see all the different habitats, all but they're all within a very close proximity to each other. Um, you know, I haven't um, made fun of guys from the South for a while, but I will say, did everyone notice how careful you had to be in how you described <laughs> that timber hunt? Because if you don't say it just right, someone, some little Southern guy is going to get all butt hurt and bent out of whack because you called someplace <laughs> a timber hole. We've got to be so careful not to step on little toes in the South because they'll get, yo, it's not a timber hole, right? <laughs> Oh, name me one thing that a, and you think about this, is there anything that a Southern guy is not allowed to say without a Northern guy getting all butthurt? Give me one. Can you think of any? Well, I'd say probably most people call it a water fountain. And from where I'm from, we call it a bubbler. But if you heard someone from the South, and I call it a water fountain, I wonder, really, I've never even heard the bubbler. Yeah, that's, I don't, uh, I, once upon a time, I saw some kind of a map of the United States of the regions where they call it a water fountain and where they call it a bubbler. And I'm smack dab in bubbler country. <laughs> never heard about, and Craig Orr says, not all of us Southern guys are that bad. Okay, so I'm just going to go down this rabbit trail for a second because I haven't had, I haven't had the opportunity to poke fun at the South for quite a while. And I'm getting kind of antsy to do so. So if someone from the South calls it a water fountain, do you blow them up on the YouTube comments and make a big deal about it? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not really the kind of guy that's gonna, so it doesn't count. All right. So that one doesn't warrior. count. 
Okay. That doesn't count. And those patrons in the audience, is there anything that a northern hunter can say, or a southern hunter will say, that a northern hunter is going to get all uptight and butthurt about? Because I can give you two or three things that if people above, let's say, Oklahoma say, guys from the south are going to get all, not, not all guys from the south, but a portion of the guys from the south. As we saw, Wade, when he was calling his timber hole that him and his son hunted, he had to be so careful with his wording because he knew if he didn't say it just right, he knew what was going to happen. I, I can't think of a single example. I think we're just the more reasonable people. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Mo moving on. I think that's the correct answer. And guys from the South, you know, I love you. I got plenty of friends, but anytime I get a chance to make some fun at some things, some observable things that do seem to be true, I'm going to do it. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Uh, all right. So um, how did you get into waterfowl hunting what is kind of your background with it so my dad used to duck hunt with his dad a long time ago and after i was born he kind of got out of it and um back when i was going through hunter safety you had to be 12 years old to be able to hunt um so i had to wait my turn and go through hunter safety and then go duck hunting with my dad i actually got him back into it because I thought it was really exciting and cool. And I was always the odd duck out, not to use the pun, but everybody in Wisconsin, it's the Orange Army. It's the nine-day gun deer season. That's what everyone grows up doing. And I was I was the oddball. I wanted to go duck hunting. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I was the only one with a snow goose on my wall. <laughs> Amen. So, um, so I got started at age 12, and then it just progressed from there. Yeah. And we did get another patron comment. Alex said, Northerners just hate us coming to hunt their land. All right. That's first. That would be accurate. <laughs> that would be accurate. <laughs> well, that's really cool. Those of us hardcore North American waterfowlers, I think there's so many stories because it was the same way for me. I was an upland game hunter. And when I grew up central Kansas, upland game was what people did. And I used to hear people talk about duck hunting, but I had friends that, you know, growing up in like, elementary school middle school that that pheasant hunted quail hunted and i went on one my dad took me on one waterfowl hunt and we went we stayed in a pop-up camper we went to like a really tiny town's football game i remember that having like a hot dog and we got up to teal hunt and we didn't have decoys we were such novices we just literally like sat on the dike and i got one sky bus shot 
a totally uneventful hunt, but there was just something about it that just absolutely hooked me. Uh, it, it was all the birds flying. It was the water. It was the, I don't know. It was just, I, it, it did something for me that, that upland game hunting just never did. And I did like hunt upland game hunting, but there was just, and we didn't even, we got one shot at a sky bust and yet there was something about it that just absolutely hooked me. And, and it sounds like you had the same experience. What do you think it is about waterfowl hunting that has that polarizing effect on men? Uh, well, I know for me, and then some of my friends have kind of expressed this as well, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with deer hunting, but that's typically a solitary event. You know, you're, you're sitting in a tree stand for however many hours by yourself. You know, if you're unsuccessful, you go back home. There's not a lot of that group activity outside of your typical rifle season like we have here. Um, duck hunting kind of provides you that ability to be with a group, usually with of friends, and you know I don't have to worry about what I smell like. I don't have to worry about how loud I am typically, um, unless there's birds flying. Um, it just uh, it lends itself to being more of a communal event. You know, I bring out a Coleman cook stove and I make my son chocolate chip pancakes while we're waiting for birds. You know, it's kind of hard to do that if you're sitting in a, in a deer blind. So yeah. I know that's one of the big things that draws it to me is kind of having that social aspect of it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How old, how old is your son? He just turned 12 in January, so the the laws kind of changed a few years back here in Wisconsin. You can there is no more minimum age, um, so they they fall under the mentorship program. So I started taking him uh, several years ago, not hunting, but just kind of getting him out there in October where it's the weather's still relatively nice out, um, like seeing if he likes it, and he did. He expressed a lot of interest in it. So then we kind of moved forward and i think it was two or three years ago he actually started hunting so has he been able to shoot a duck yet yeah so kind of jumping ahead of myself a little bit on the water swap swatting uh topic that was kind of my rule for him uh, when he first started you know you get a bird that's a good distance and we can we can make it happen with a water swat. And right. last year we went to North Dakota and I said, all right, no restrictions. You see a bird flying at a reasonable distance, we'll have at it. And he actually did really well. So nice. he's going to be, he's going to be doing well. I think that is great. That is, that is wonderful. It's, it's so fun to have your kids have success and, and enjoy it. Um, so you told me before we got on, you have three kids. So you have got a 12-year-old son. Yep. Who, are your, who are your other two kids? And I've got a five-year-old girl and a one-year-old girl. You are busy, busy, busy. You got a lot going on at home, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Mom is doing everything great. So um, I try. I just try to stay out of her way and help as much as I can. Right. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the spin the wheel segment. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. 
All right. So those of you that are listening, I put about 11 uh, different topics on a wheel and I'm going to spin them and whatever pops up, Wade's going to talk about. So here we go. I'm not going to share the screen. Let me see if I can. Yeah, there won't be any audio, so I can hear it. I don't know if you can hear it, Wade. All right. Your favorite type of waterfowl habitat to hunt in. So like marsh, dry fields, um, reservoirs. What's your very favorite type of hunting habitat? Uh, my favorite is the open water. Um, kind of going back to where we hunt Mississippi River, there's these large grass islands that kind of dot the, the waterscape. And so um, that's your best bet to get divers. And so um, I really enjoy being in there because it's expansive enough where as long as no one's in your line, line of sight, it, it kind of gives you that feeling of you're out here alone. And you, mm -hmm. as you've talked about in previous episodes, being isolated enough and when you get the wind going and you see the grass moving kind of like an ocean wave, yeah, you definitely get yeah. that effect out there. That's awesome. People don't talk about it that much, but went to me and, and I've noticed that I've talked to the people. It doesn't have this effect on everyone, but I love wind for the hunting one. But number two, there's something about when you have a hard wind blowing, it makes everything feel more wild to me. It's just like it, it, it you feel the strength of mother nature and there's just something about it that gives an awe inspiring feeling to me that you, and you just described it perfectly. All right, let's go to the next one. Hopefully these will drop off. When... All right. What is your favorite duck to eat? Do you think there's a difference in taste between the different ducks? And if so, which one do you think is the best tasting? Uh, in the world's, words of Phil Robertson, if you eat, you just got to add more garlic to uh, like a shoveler <laughs> or a coot or something like that. Right, um, right. I think there definitely is a, a grading scale of birds to eat. I'd say it's probably somewhere between a blue winged teal and a pintail. And you, do you think that um, blue-winged teal are, are, are good or bad? Then you don't think blue-winged teal tastes good? No, I love them. I think they taste oh, great. Okay. Because, okay. you know, um, guys in the South think blue-winged teal tastes terrible. Did you know that? Really? Okay. So yeah, I didn't even back know to that, that question that you had asked me earlier about what can the Southern guy say that I would take offense to, I just found it. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, okay. There you go. We got one because when I heard that, I'm like, what are you crazy? Blooming teal are delicious. Yes. I don't know 100%. if it's a food thing or what. I yeah. Know. I, I think it like most things, I'm sure it's what were they eating the last week before you harvested them, but I've never had a blooming teal that tasted bad. Oh, me neither. I love. I mean, when we're during teal season, we'll just cut those suckers up, put them right on the grill with just a little bit of seasoning on them. They're delicious. Okay, next question. Spin the wheel. Favorite blind snack? You kind of already maybe mentioned that, but um, what do you like? What's your favorite blind snack? Uh, my favorite one is probably going to be duck. So I have a, a little single burner stove, and with like a camping skillet fry pan and usually we'll just take birds from the freezer or then the hunt before and we'll just bring those and cook them up i'm not at uh, the chef boy rd over an open fire level just yet oh man i you know what it's been a couple of years i have gone away from the chef this year this year i'm making a promise 
that I'm going back to it. But you've got to get, if you're going to do the Shep RD, the best thing to get for that is the mini raviolis because the, the big raviolis don't cook or hard to cook on like a cook stove. So you need the little mini raviolis. They cook evenly through and they're delicious. I am, I'm definitely going back to that this year. All right. Let's go to the next one. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. Okay. So you, we talked for, and you're familiar with the flyways collective, which is a, we really haven't done much with the flyways. Although all of us now are working with final approach and we are still a group and we're connected with final approach and we help promote them and, and all of that. So the members are, um, Josh from outdoor limits, Titus from mid Valley mercenary, Thomas from Hoke outdoors, Matt from High Prairie Sportsman, Sportsman, Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and myself. And since we're here talking together, um, don't I am not in this equation. Who is your favorite Flyways Collective member, um, and why? Uh, I'd probably have to say Titus. Um, his production value and the time and effort he puts into all those videos is easily seen. Um, I really like his podcast. I think he does a great job with that, um, covering a wide range of topics. And I'm just jealous he gets to shoot one more duck every day than I do. Yes, he does, and he shoots a lot of ducks. It's been so fun to watch his progression because we talked on the podcast, man. He has always shot a lot of ducks, but since they got that boat, it's just he is just on fire, just crushing them. Yeah, good pick. All right, next question. We have to dub in some sound if we can't hear this. All right. Give me a hunt from your past that sticks out in your head um, as memorable. Um, I wouldn't say I have one single hunt, but I have a trip. Um, back in 2020, I went to North Dakota with my father and a coworker. And my dad's had a lot of medical issues before and since that. And he really hasn't had an opportunity to go duck hunting since that trip. So it was really nice to be able to get out with him kind of one last time, so to speak. And he had never hunted out of state. He had never seen what the prairie pothole region can be when it's at its best. Mm-hmm. And at the trip from day one to the last day was more than I could have asked for. Um, the amount of birds, the cooperation with the birds and just being in that environment where it's it's not what we're typically used to is my dad always took me to the mississippi river it's the big river and now we're transitioning to these little potholes and um you know you can be jump shooting or just hiding in some cattails on the edge of the water and and i think we shot nine different species while we were out there um and I actually got a redhead uh, mounted from that trip as kind of uh, a placeholder for that trip for me and him. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That is so cool. Good memory, good memory. And you mentioned it, and I could not agree more. The thing about waterfowl hunting is you go from big lakes, small creeks, ponds, marshes, little trickles of water, shallow water marshes. I mean, there's just so many different the, – the aesthetic view – changes so often in waterfowl hunting, just giving you a fresh perspective. And so, yeah. All right. Next one. Here we go. Spinning the wheel. If you could go to any state that you've never been to, 
what state would you pick and why? And money's not an option. I would probably do Alaska. I think there's mm. the Harlequin out there and mm. some eiders and some other interesting birds. And it's not even just because of the different birds, the sea ducks and the other divers that are out there. It's just the landscape is just so vastly yeah. different than what I would be used to anywhere close to me. Um, I think that would just be a once in a lifetime opportunity and trip. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw a hunt, I think it was white rock that recorded this. It was a Brant goose hunt in Alaska, like on a shoreline and the Brant were like working just like mallard. It was such a cool video. And so, yeah, that and not good call. Good call. All right. Next question on the wheel. Why did you decide to join Patreon? How long have you been uh, a member of Patreon? So I think I've been on Patreon a year or two. I know I took mm -hmm. a break for a little bit, but I came back. Um, just wanted, I liked what your content was. I appreciated the effort that you put into spreading the good word and representing the sport well. Um, so I wanted to help out a little bit, do my part, and give back to the community. Um, help you continue to make the content that you do. Well, I can't say how much I appreciate that. This Patreon's been going for, gosh, four, five, maybe even six, maybe even six years. And it's just been really, really rewarding experience. And now that I'm actually getting to know this idea with the podcast thing, um, I thought it would just be a cool way to kind of give back. And I've enjoyed it so much because I have, I have known your name for the time you've been on there, but it's like being face to face. It's just really, really cool, rewarding experience. So, and I don't know if I told him it's your birthday today. So happy birthday, 33 years old. Happy birthday, man. Thank you. All right. We got a few more. Let's see if we can hit them all and then we'll wrap it up. I know you've got young kids. So my guess is when your kids get quite a bit older, you'll probably put in a little more hunting days than you're able to now. Cause you've got, especially like a one-year-old, but about how many times a year are you able to, to get out? So I actually just looked at my hunt stats and I'd say my average is somewhere between 12 and 15. I don't log yeah, a hunt if I don't fire a shot. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, it's never as much as I'd like to do it. I save up all my vacation through the year. And I, last year I was able to take the entire month of November off, wow. but I got sick a couple times. All their family members got sick and I only ended up getting out of, I think four times in the whole month of November. Oh, <laughs> did, you still, did you still have to use all your days? You'd already I, used them and then you just happened to get sick. Yeah. I, I wanted to keep that there because the idea was I knew I wasn't going to hunt every single day, but, um, if you have the time off and you can say, all right, there's this front that's coming right now. Yeah. I have the flexibility to plan and say, okay, I'm going to go this day versus, you know, ver the usual, I got to work around my work schedule. Well, I pr I'd rather go Thursday, but the only day I can go is Friday. So that was kind of the idea behind it. So I got off November again. Hopefully things go better this year. Oh man, what a what a bummer that had to be. And speaking of your job, you mentioned that you work for the sheriff department. Um, this is off the wheel. Um, what what is it that you do exactly? So I am on patrol. 
Nice. So, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting job. Like I said before, for those that are aware of the Wisconsin Dells, it's the year round population. It's only about 2,500, but during the summer months between Memorial and Labor Day, it'll, it'll jump to 20,000. And we've got the busiest state park in, in the state, in our county. And that attracts, you know, two to 5,000 people a day during the summer. Um, so that's on one side of our county. And then on the other, we have a very healthy Amish population and a very rich farming area. Mm-hmm. So it, in, in a matter of an hour, I can drive from one end and be looking at some very beautiful country. And then I'll be at the other end of the county and have a very different experience. So have you ever had to pull over a horse and buggy? Uh, no, fortunately I haven't oh. had to do that yet. <laughs> oh man, I was hoping for yes. That would be, that would be an interesting experience for sure. Have you, do, but had, have you had to interact with, um, Amish and legal matters and going out and, or do they just completely stay quiet? Uh, so they, they won't call us unless they absolutely have to. Um, usually we'll get some driving complaints for people spooking horses, driving too fast, trying to pass them or more frequently it's just their horse or cattle is out and we have to go find out where they are. And I tell you what, I've got a lot of my coworkers to download Onyx Hunts maps because of the private property feature and I can figure out, you know, Dennis Yoder owns this horse I'm staring at. (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's crazy so one more one more police question i've it's been coming up on my youtube feed a lot lately these guys that go out film on public land and generally act kind of suspicious with filming have you seen any of these videos where they do like they call them like i don't know second or fourth amendment audits they're like constitutional Uh, audit guys yes first and second amendment auditors Right, right. Have you interacted with any of these guys? They seem to be all over the place, as far as I can tell these days. It's becoming more prevalent. Um, I I haven't had the pleasure of interacting with them. Uh, I've been on duty when other people have. Um, I would say that the best thing to do is just kind of ignore them, because they're looking for that reaction. And if you don't give it to them, they kind of move on. Because technically what they're doing is legal, but... They are acting, not all of them. There, there is a couple, because actually there was one guy's channel I ended up watching quite a bit, and he was a fairly likable guy, but uh, it's like they're still at, they are acting suspicious. It's not what they're doing is legal, but they are acting a little suspicious. So it's yeah. That would be in- yeah, they're, they're always trying to get the attention, and then it seems like a lot of them act like once they have it, then they question, well, why, why am I getting all this attention? I'm all like, you were asking yeah. for the attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. I always get a kick out of when we when we have sovereign citizens. Oh, Those yeah. are always an interesting time. Yeah, I, I went down the rabbit hole of sovereign citizen videos because first I saw them, and I'm not going to go into If you guys don't know what it is, you're listening, just Google search sovereign citizen. I'm not going to go into what it is. But I didn't know if they had any validity at first because I just started running these videos like, what are these guys talking about? And you like get down the rabbit hole, and it's like they're just – They've got no clue. They're idiots. <laughs> they're just idiots. <laughs> Some of them, you can tell they're new to the movement, I guess you could say, and others 
are very articulate, are very intelligent people. Um, they truly believe everything that they're espousing. Um, and it just makes for interesting conversation. But they've got no, they've got, no, correct me if I'm wrong, you please stop. My understanding is they have no legal ground to stand on what they're saying. Like they don't have to have driver's license because they've got the right freedom to travel. And, and my understanding is like the things they're spouting are 100% false legally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I ran into a gentleman last summer, uh, not too far from where we hunt and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not driving, I'm traveling and this and that, and I don't pay taxes. Right. And right. I kind of asked him, I was like, so if your house catches fire, you're going to call the fire department? Well, yeah, of course. How do you think the fire department gets funded? It's with your tax dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Taxes, we do need taxes for some certain things. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry for that side trail. I, I, this rabbit trail, I could sit and talk to you through probably two hours and just ask you question after question after question. But in the sake of time, we, we better move on. But thank you for indulging me. And because I've been wanting to ask a police officer a couple of those questions for, so are you a police officer or a highway patrolman? Uh, so sheriff's deputy. So we have the, we have the state troopers and then we have the PDs and then we have the top of the the lot as the deputies. (laughs) Okay. So, and I don't know how it works. If like, if that's insulting, if like, Oh, you call me a police officer. I don't know. Is that, is that some people get really upset about that and I, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's just like us. We just don't, I, we don't know. I don't just don't know. Um, All right. Anyway, here we go. Got a few more. We got to get to him because your son's getting out of practice and we got to finish this up. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, what kind of shotgun do you use, and what is your shotgun history? So I currently use a Winchester Super X2. I've had that since I was 15. Still works, so no complaints. Um, I've had some other guns in the past that I've had issues with, and once I found this one and I know it works... I stick with it. I have found that there are some shells that it does not like. Um, I'm starting to transition over into the bismuth world. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, I have no issues with it. and um, I think I'll end up passing that on to my son when he gets a little bit bigger and can take the, take the recoil of a 12-gauge, and then maybe I'll go find something new for me. Right, nice. Well, that's a if you if you have had no issues in it in what that'd be eighteen years. That's a yeah, you're doing well with that gun for sure. All right, we got a few more here. What's your ammo of choice? You just kind of mentioned it briefly, but what ammo did you use last year? 
Uh, trying to think. I think um, I know I use some Federal Black Cloud. Um, I started using that Kent Bismuth more, um, and that worked pretty well. Um, but I, I'm still pretty heavy using Steel Shop, um, right. Federal Winchester. Mm-hmm. I'm not brand uh, specific. Yeah. I, I like bismuth. I just don't like paying for bismuth. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the last time I bought a box of that Kent, it was somewhere around $56 a box. Jeez. Gosh, I just can't, I just can't stand to think of every time I pull the trigger, it costs me that much money. I just, Oh my gosh. All right. We got two more. It's landing on. What is your favorite duck to shoot? Oh, hands down. It's a canvas back. Do you guys get a lot of them there? Yeah, so uh, usually about the first week of November, uh, you really start seeing them come in. And I think uh, last I heard, somewhere around the 75% of the continental population of canvasbacks come through Pool 8 and 9 on the Mississippi River. Oh my Um, gosh, that is cool. So you you have a lot of opportunities, and obviously you can only get two a day, um, but it's, it's just a special bird to me. I've got yeah. one on the wall. Um, I remember thinking as a kid, there was only half a million as the population, and I was always worried that they were gonna, you weren't gonna be allowed to shoot them anymore. So I got one on the wall that was l- less than ideal. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the hunt for a better specimen, but that is by far my favorite. Yeah, there was a time when I was younger. Uh, I think probably was the early '90s where you couldn't shoot canvas back. Um, at all and i've shot a couple in my life all right this is weird this has ended up being the last one because we've talked about this before um but water swatting do you water swat i know you let your son water swat do you water swat why or why not oh 100 percent um my viewpoint (laughs) vigorously yes my viewpoint is is um if you get a bird to commit all the way to landing in your decoys. You, that's the ultimate, I got you. I tricked right. you. I fooled you. Yeah. And as you stated, it's perfectly ethical shot. The The head is right there, and obviously judging distance and knowing your pattern and what it should do is a big component of that. But, um, oh, yeah, no hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell that guys truly don't water swat when they make the statement. It's not a clean shot because if you do it, you know, it kills them instantly. I mean, in, if you get them in the decoys and you water swat, your shooting percentage is damn near a hundred. I mean, yeah. it's such an easy shot. It's such an easy shot. And if you luck out and you get, especially with divers, I've noticed that, you know, even if they don't necessarily land into your spread, they may land off to the side 70, 80 yards, but then they will swim into your right. set. Right. And um, makes it a little bit difficult when, you know, like bluebills, we have a split season where for 15 days you can only shoot one a day, and for the 45 days you can shoot two a day. Hmm. So in those kind of situations, you definitely have to be careful and single out uh, a lone bird. But... You know, if I can get two cans with one shot, oh, I'm a happy man. Yeah, right. And with and with divers too, it's just a so much easier shot uh, water swat than when they're running on the water. 
I mean, it's just a way harder shot as they're getting up. So, all right. Well, that was the last question. Well, I thank you so much for coming on here on your birthday. I know you got to go in a second. Do you have one more minute for me to spin the wheel for next month's Patreon podcast guest, or you oh. need to go right now? Oh, no. You're good. Okay. All right. So um, that was Wade Newbauer, Wisconsin Hunter. Again, thank you so much for coming on. And um, thank you for being a sheriff's deputy. I was trying to make sure you the right, right word there. <laughs> really, that's a really awesome thing that you do. And and uh, I know it's kind of been law enforcement the last couple of years has been kind of rough. So I just appreciate you, you doing that job. Okay, so let's go next month's Patreon podcast um, guest is, I'm spinning it now. I didn't share the screen, guys. Sorry, but let's see who pops on. And it has landed on Scott Hill. I, I know Scott Hill really, really well. Scott Hill is a Michigan hunter. So that's, he actually has a YouTube channel. So that'll be great. So we've had... One from Louisiana, two from Wisconsin, and now one from Michigan. So we're we're kind of staying up in that same in that same area. So that's cool. Scott Hill, uh, he's not here, but I will be contacting him immediately. I'm really excited about that guest. So, all right, we are gonna shut it down here. And if you are here watching, if you're one of the other patrons that are here watching, I'm gonna shut this thing all the way down so I can get um, Wade's computer to upload the rest of this data before he hops off. But thank you for joining me. I'm going to, we're going to be streaming again tomorrow. Tim Cochran's coming on and we are going to record another set of Woody's top five. So I haven't posted that one on Patreon yet. I will post that here tonight announcement and we're going to be right back on here tomorrow at gosh, is it eight or eight 30? I think it's eight 30. I think tomorrow is eight 30. So we're going to record those top Woody's top five. So be ready to laugh because those things are hilarious. So, all right. Well, thank you. This has been another episode of the North American waterfowl podcast. If you want to join us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash freelance ducking duck hunting. Come on over and join the fun until next time. We will see you guys later. country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment